we're delighted to have you. Encourage you to say hello in the chat. Uh, if you'd like everyone to see you or welcome and any other commentary, you want to set it to all panelists and attendees. Good morning, Carol. Welcome from Santa Fe. Um, good morning, E. Elder. Sorry, I don't know the first name there. Welcome to our friends who are joining us on Facebook Live. Glad that you're here with us as well. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, Laura. Uh, Laura, the reason you're, I think you're not seeing yourself and Sue both is that you are chatting just with the panelists. You might wanna set your chat settings to all panelists and attendees. Hi, Ed. Good morning, Donna. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to Wes this morning. Uh, John is asking how to change his display name. So usually if you click, right click on your video, there's a little place, it'll bring up some options and you can uh, change that. Sorry, I can't do that at the same time myself, um, but someone else might be able to chat in some instructions for you. It's, you know, you just look at your own, your own, um, Login piece. <laughs> Trish, hmm. Yeah, we can, uh, we're in uh, webinar mode, which is why we can't see each other except for the few panelists. So you just get my beautiful face at the moment. I'm going to self aggrandize at the moment. Just me and the, and the slide for now. You'll see other folks as we go on, but it'll just be panelists this morning because we're in webinar mode. And, but yes, Trish, you are in, we can see you in the chat. And if you can hear, then you've got all that's available in webinar mode. You can see and hear the presenters and we can see your comments in the chat. <laughs> that's great. Good morning, Patty and Paul, glad that you are here. Hmm. <laughs> Welcome to others. A reminder, this is a great time to get your candle for the candle lighting ceremony and um, also to have your beverage of choice so that you can settle in and be present. Um, so uh, that's, that is terrific. And um, as Lynn is, has added to the chat that on December 27th, we are gonna try a slightly different mode. We will be in meeting mode for that particular platform. And so folks can see each other. So if that's something that you are um, interested in trying or have been yearning for, definitely be sure to participate on December 27th. That'll be a different mode. Good morning, Julie. Uh, good morning, Mary. Good morning from John and Abby and Perry Bider. A number of folks that have just chatted are chatting to uh, just the panelists. You might want to check your settings to all panelists and attendees if you would like everyone to know that you are here and commenting. And that's great. Uh, again, reminder, we're going to start in just a moment. Good morning, Beth Ann, that um, this is a good time to get a candle to light during our candle lighting and then come back with your beverage of choice, settle into your comfy seat, and we will begin in just another moment. Good morning, Vincent and Laura. Good morning, Emily and Carl. We are glad that you are 
here with us along with all the others who have joined us this morning from near and far. It is indeed good to be together as we are able. Good morning, Sam. And so Emily and Carl and Sam, just know that you're chatting just with the panelists. You might wanna change your setting to panelists, all panelists and attendees. Same for, good morning, Naomi. Thanks, Sam. I see you switched over to say hello to all. That's terrific. Your choice, of course, but I know folks are all happy to hear from each other. So it's a good morning, um, good chance. And I believe that we are indeed now ready to begin. All right. Good morning and welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Lynn Cox. You can use they, them pronouns for me. And I'm the interim leader here. And I'm Karen Schofield Leka. My pronouns are per and pers, short for person. And I'm today's officiant. Our opening words this morning are adapted from words by Amy Russell. You who feel your heart is breaking, come in. You who are confused and wondering, Come in. You who are angry, in pain, or not wanting to be here, come in. You who are hopeful and energized, come in. Come into this community of the heart where you may be held in love and comfort, where you may share your joy, where you may ask questions because you feel they need asking, where you may find friendship and companions, where people sometimes do not agree, and sometimes do not feel comforted, and sometimes do not feel heard. Bring your broken heart and grief, share them. Bring your confusion and your questions, share them. Bring your anger and your pain, share them. Bring your hope and your energy, share them. For here in this place, we can be together. We can gather in all the conflicting emotions tumbling around in our heads and our hearts. We bring them together here and sit with them in the circle of community. For community means that fragile, non-perfect human beings can come together in the name of peace and seek to find peace again. Peace. Hope. Healing. May it be so. Let us gather together. We begin today's platform with opening music from interim music coordinator, Leah Morris. This is Love Is My Decision, written by Daniel Namad. Love is my decision. It's up to me to open my Right here and now 
up to me to walk down that road. Love is my decision. No one else can carry that load. And once I decide to change my mind, love will show me My decision right here and now Love is my decision It's up to me to dance across that bridge Love is my decision no one else can make me forgive And once I decide to change my mind Love will show me how Love is my decision It's my decision right here and now Welcome once again to the Washington Ethical Society. Visitors, we especially welcome you from near and far. We hope that you'll say hello in the chat and you might send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas at maceot at ethicalsociety.org. That's M-A-C-E-O-T at ethicalsociety.org. You can also fill out a connection form. Maceo will put that link in the chat. It's right there right now. And we hope that you'll join us after the platform service for a chance to say hello. And today is also the first Sunday of the month. And so newcomers are well invited to a Q&A session with Maceo after platform. And um, that link is also in the chat as well so that you can come and meet other folks who are also visitors and new and get questions answered, get to meet some other folks. So we welcome you to do that. Our chat will stay open through much of the platform surface, closing for the address itself and then reopening. So if you do not want to see the chat, this is a good time to minimize it on your device. You can click on the red dot. It's different on everybody's system, but it's either in the upper left of the chat box or clicking on the chat icon at the bottom or the top of your screen, or even just stick a post-it note over where it's popping up so that you don't see that happening. Sometimes that low tech option is the best. Each week, a member of our community reads our statement of purpose so that we might hear our shared values in each other's voices. If you're interested in taking a turn to read the statement of purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc readsop. This week, our reader is Joe London. Joe is chair of our community relations committee, a member of the West Chorus, and a longtime member of WES. And now I invite Joe to read the statement of purpose. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships 
to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith and human goodness, we appreciate each other's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you, Joe. If you have a candle at home, I invite you to light it now as I share our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Thank you. Now is the time when we honor our newest members and their decision to join the Washington Ethical Society. Our new members being recognized today have joined us on the panel and we'll hear from them in a moment. Today, we joyfully welcome Sandy Beenan, Lori Pickard, and Michael Dimion. We're grateful today for each one of you that you have found your way here and that you have decided to make a commitment to our community. We will send you your certificate of membership, which includes a quote from Felix Adler. Spiritual evolution is the progressive advance of humankind toward a state of things in which the light of ethical perfection shall be reflected from the face of human society. That is, in which all people shall live and move and have their being in mutually promoting the highest life of each and all. And attached to that certificate, you'll find an ethical culture symbol pin. And we also have your new member name tags. Woo! We hope you are both with pride as we're proud to have you in our community. These new members have participated in Q&A sessions and path to membership classes. And what they have learned about membership is fresh in their minds. We've asked them to share some of what they've learned. Sandy, Lori, and Michael, we want your membership at West to be meaningful to you. I look forward to seeing you regularly at platform and programs in virtual space during these socially distanced times and either digitally or in person when it's safe. May it be so that regular participation becomes one of the joys in your life. Let's talk more about the joys of membership. As members, we have the joy of being part of something larger than ourselves, uh, participating financially in the support of Wes's mission. And as members, we have the joy of giving and receiving care and support among others in our community, including receiving the support of our clergy leader for rites of passage, such as baby naming ceremonies and weddings. As members, we have the joy of serving the wider community beyond Wes through our share the plate donations and through teams at West focused on action for justice and compassion. As members, we have the joy of supporting the mission of West by channeling our time and talents in a way that fits our skills and interests. Oh. Sandy, let's try that again, you're muted. 
There you go. As members, we have the joy of being able to guide West's future by participating in the democratic process of governance. As members, we have the joy of being part of a welcoming community that is always building towards inclusive, inclusive, inclusive pity. Michael, Lori, and Sandy, thank you for committing to membership. May your commitment lead you to meaning and purpose, helping you to bring out the best in others and in yourself. Thank you again, Sandy, Lori, and Michael for joining us in these joys. Thank you to our continuing members for sustaining these joys and for welcoming these new members and getting to know them. If we were in person, you would hear sounds of wild applause as all of us celebrate your membership. I hope you can hear the silent, silent wave of joy all around you and that you'll stay for coffee hour to hear those well wishes out loud. It's good to be together. Welcoming new members is an unmitigated joy, but sometimes events are more mysterious and we need to wait and see whether a new event will lead to good luck or bad luck. And that leads me to today's story. This is a Zen Buddhist story you might've heard before. It gets retold often in different forms. The ver this version is adapted from John J. Muth's book, Zen Shorts. I don't know if the story happened exactly this way, but I believe it's true. There was once an old farmer who had worked his crops for many years. One day his horse ran away. Upon hearing the news, his neighbors came to visit. Such bad luck, they said sympathetically. Eh, maybe, said the farmer. The next morning, the horse returned, bringing in with it two other wild horses. Such good luck, the neighbors exclaimed. Eh, maybe, replied the farmer. The following day, his son tried to ride one of the untamed horses, was thrown off and broke his leg. Again, the neighbors came to offer their sympathy on his misfortune. Such bad luck, they said. Eh, maybe, answered the farmer. The day after that, military officials came to the village to draft young men into the army to fight in a war. Seeing that the son's leg was broken, they passed him by. Such good luck, cried the neighbors. Eh, maybe, said the farmer. So ends the reading. Sometimes our immediate reaction does not tell the whole story. As we make space for being present without judgment, let's enter into the centering time of our platform. Thanks, Lynn, and welcome again to our new members. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I'm particularly mindful of election workers in the state of Georgia who are still at it, working to ensure our democracy functions, even while facing threats of violence. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world.
and let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. Today's meditation is adapted from words by Nathan C. Walker. Breathing in, I am aware of my pain. Breathing out, I am aware that I am not my pain. Breathing in, I am aware of my past. Breathing out, I am aware that I am not my past. Breathing in, I am aware of my anger. Breathing out, I am aware that I am not my anger. Breathing in, I am aware of my despair. Breathing out, I am aware that I am not my despair. Breathing in, I am aware of peace. Breathing out, I am aware that I am worthy of peace. Breathing in, I am aware of love. Breathing out, I am aware that I am worthy of love. Breathing in, I am aware of joy. Breathing out, I am aware that I am an agent of joy. Breathing in, I am aware of hope. Breathing out, I am aware that I am an agent of hope. Breathing in, I am aware. We continue our meditation in silence.
Peace be with me, peace be for me, peace to the right of me, peace behind me, peace to the left of me, peace above me, peace below me, peace within. Peace be with you, peace be for you, peace to the right of you, peace behind you, peace to the left of you, peace above you, peace below you, peace within. Peace be with us, peace be for us, peace to the right of us, peace behind us, peace to the left of us, peace above us, peace below us, peace within. Peace be with us, peace be for us, peace to the right of us, peace behind us, peace to the left of us, peace above us, peace below us, peace within. I hope that brought some peace to each of you. Our reading this morning is by Jeffrey Lockwood, who is an insect ecologist and writer and a professor of natural sciences and humanities at the University of Wyoming. This is from his book, A Guest of the World. There is no such thing as, as a lasting peace, a tranquility that will persist forever, a final resting place for the lion and the lamb. We yearn for the completion of our task, the fulfillment of our striving, the consummation of our journey. And this longing sows the seeds of our defeat. We aspire to solve conflicts. We ache to be done with the hard work of life. We pine for the day in which an everlasting peace prevails. In believing that the purpose of a peace movement lies in securing an outcome, 
in reaching an amicable conclusion in attaining a serene world, we assure our own frustration, our own futility, and ultimately our own failure. The work of peacemaking will never be done. That is the curse and the blessing of being human. It's a curse that there is no utopian cultivation culmination of our labors, a blessing and that we will always have meaningful work. The peacemaker is like Sisyphus, whom the gods condemn to an eternal life of shoving a boulder up a hill, only to see it roll back down again in an endless cycle of apparent futility. How could Sisyphus endure such a fate? I've asked my students and their answers were revealing. Some students suppose that there is always hope, a hope that the gods will relent, that peace will finally come to Sisyphus and perhaps to us. A particularly creative student suggested that over time, the rolling of the boulder would erode the hill so that eventually the labor of Sisyphus would be complete. Maybe as we roll the boulder of peace in every generation, the hill of hate is worn down. But I believe that the most compelling answer came from those students who understood that a sense of futility comes from the belief that we rightfully expect to see the fruits of our labors. We forget that virtue lies in the doing of good works, not in the completing of our task. Maybe Sisyphus will never recover the graces of the gods. Maybe the hill will never be worn down. But if he, if we, can authentically and deeply engage in our labors, if we roll the boulder of peace because it is what we are called to do, if the measure of our work is its capacity to shape who we are, we can go on pushing. And if in the course of our labors, the hill of hate is eroded, that will be a beautiful thing, a very beautiful thing. But as much as we hope that peacemaking will replace warmongering, as much as we hope to live at a critical point in human history, as much as we dream of a glorious conversion of society, we must understand that while epiphanies may change souls, they rarely change the world. To know what we can do, to understand what the world needs of us, we must look into the eyes of the frightened soldier and the terrified child. But to sustain our work, we must look inside ourselves. There we shall find the understanding that the endless labor of life is not about changing the world, but about creating ourselves. We cannot make the world peaceful, but neither can the world make us hopeless. Thank you, Karen. If you've got a young child in your life, you may be familiar with the book, Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus by Mo Willems. I think about the story sometimes when I'm evaluating my own capacity to make good decisions. In the story, there's a bus driver on a break and a pigeon who really, really, really wants to drive the bus at top speed through traffic, taking corners on two wheels, drifting and spinning out as he dramatically breaks at the end of the journey. It is the pigeon's dream 
to be a stunt bus driver. The reader's job in this book is to hold the boundary and to prevent the pigeon from driving the bus. It is part of Mo Willem's brilliance that the reader is an active participant in this story, making it more dramatic and engaging. Holding the boundary is frustrating for the pigeon, but it helps everyone stay safer and can give the reader a sense of accomplishment. When I'm applying this story in my own life, I am the pigeon. I am also the bus driver and the other passengers and the reader. I imagine that my life, my choices, the person I am who is going about their day is a bus. Inside the bus are my thoughts, my feelings, my memories, my goals, my embodied senses, my impulses, and all of the other things that swim around in my heart and mind and body. All of those things belong on the bus. They are all part of me. That being said, the pigeon is not the right candidate for driving the bus. The pigeon is not able to take responsibility for the safety of others. The pigeon is all about impulse. The pigeon can be on the bus. My impulses are part of me and I can take note of what they are saying without letting them be in charge. If my life is a bus, the part of me that watches and reflects and exercises discernment in my choices is tasked with listening to the pigeon, helping the pigeon get what it truly needs, but not allowing the pigeon to drive the bus. Logic can drive the bus if it's listening to the other passengers. Love can drive the bus, but I try not to let the pigeon drive the bus. I do not always succeed at preventing the pigeon from driving the bus. Sometimes I make a split second decision on social media that I shouldn't. Sometimes I open an email that I know I will be better able to deal with in another state of mind. Sometimes I snap at people I care about. This is part of being human. I make amends as best I can and resolve to do better. And part of what we're trying to do together is bring out the best in each other and therefore in ourselves. I'm trying to keep the pigeon in the passenger seat more often and to create space to make it easier for other pigeons to stay out of the driver's seats of other vehicles. I bring this up because I have been hearing a lot of questions about what we do with conflict and also a few questions about what we do when all of us are working with limited capacity. This has been a hard year. The challenges of grief, of unemployment, of illness, of uncertainty have left us with fewer emotional resources for handling our relationships with skillfulness and care. Sometimes the questions about conflict are about the big picture, such as how do we move on when the people we're connected with disagree deeply? Or how do we begin to repair the damage when we don't all have the same strategy for healing? Or how do we continue the work of liberation as a united community when not everyone has caught up to the urgent need for that work? Sometimes the questions about conflict are specific, hoping to be prepared to intervene in case of harassment in the street or online, or expecting arguments about the results of the election, or what to do with the family member who continues to disrupt the family Zoom get-togethers with their aggressive assertions of misinformation. 
Sometimes the questions about conflict are about how we can learn from our everyday experiences. The clashes we have with the people we're closest to when we're frazzled. Though I hope the coming year will be better than the one we are leaving behind, there is still some more conflict in our lives than we may wish. Let's be clear that not all conflict is bad. Conflict can be generative. Conflict can provide the creative combustion that helps us to articulate our values, compare ideas, and come up with new solutions. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is a state of being when we operate with justice and compassion, each rooted in our own values, each treating the other person with respect, each accepting accountability when our choices do not match our values. We can disagree, we can debate, we can struggle for understanding and still be at peace. If we try to suppress generative conflict, if we try to superficially soothe the agitated and appease aggressors, we may end up with a conflict that is quiet, but that eats away at the foundations of community. That's not the same thing as peace. We make room for conflict to be generative when we bring humility and relationality, when we are more committed to our values than to being someone who is always right. Our task then is to help shape conflict to be generative rather than destructive. That's not going to be possible in every instance. We need to be able to get to a place of mutual respect. It is very hard to have a generative conflict when one or more parties approach one or more of the other parties in a dehumanizing way. But the work of shaping can be worth a try. And at the very least, we might be able to help redirect a conflict to reduce the harm being done to the most vulnerable person in that situation. Lowering the temperature, raising the level of relationship and connection, setting the stage for a shared understanding of values, all of these things can help. In short, when the bus is headed into a conflict, we want love in the driver's seat, not the pigeon. This process is also called de-escalation. In de-escalation, we shape conflict so that the heightened tension that leads people to act out of fear and anger relaxes so that we can engage in the discussion from a place of wisdom and choose actions that align with our goals and values, right? We're not gonna disperse the tension, we're gonna use the tension, lower the temperature and redirect that tension to work on our goals and our values. In the weeks leading up to the election, I did a couple of online training sessions to refresh my de-escalation skills. The Poor People's Campaign, the Election Defenders, and Faith and Public Life were all gathering people to get ready for a variety of scenarios. We didn't know what was going to happen, but we anticipated that November and December would be difficult and full of emotion and tension, and that our communities would need people of conscience to help redirect angry, fearful, impulsive energy into channels that are more conducive to right relationship. I'm not claiming to have mastered these techniques, but I can pass along what I heard from the experts. I hope we can engage with more training together at WES in the coming months. 
we don't have time this morning for me to share everything I learned, but I would like to share the one thing that was the first principle in each training. Before we de-escalate a conflict involving other people, we have to de-escalate ourselves. The peace in our hearts, commitment to our values and intentionality in our actions that we bring with us are the most important things we can contribute in de-escalating a situation. If we try to rescue or to take over or suppress a conflict situation when we are acting based in fear or hurt or anger, we may do more harm than good. And that doesn't mean fear and hurt and anger aren't real or even that they aren't important parts of ourselves. They are indeed important parts of ourselves. It means we have to process those feelings so that they are not leading us into poor choices. Don't let the pigeon drive the bus. For that to work, to give ourselves the ability to process so that we can lead from love and wisdom, we need to slow down. I find that some of my worst mistakes in escalating conflict come when I engage hastily, when I don't take time to think before I respond verbally, when I add a comment in the spur of the moment, when I send an email riding on a wave of emotion rather than leaving it in my drafts folder until a reasonable hour the next business day. Those are the times when I'm most likely to raise tension and move a conflict further away from the generative zone. To give ourselves time to de-escalate our own minds and hearts in response to a tense or conflicted situation, let's be critical of an internal sense of urgency. Sometimes things really are an emergency and we need to tread carefully as we can to engage in the moment. But it's worth a second thought to examine whether something feels like an emergency because it ignites our emotions and actually isn't an emergency, or whether something really is both time sensitive and of great importance to a person or an organization's well being. Not everything that makes us anxious requires our immediate action. That's why I took the Facebook app off of my phone. Social media pushes a sense of urgency because urgency is how the social media outlet keeps the attention of users for their own profit. The fast pace of social media makes people think they have to respond in real time to a comment stream rather than thinking or reflecting. Misinformation spreads quickly because it fits an emotional story of urgency. Social media conversations do not wait for the people with the most accurate data, nor does the venue make clear whether all of the stakeholders are in the room at that moment. I do use social media, but I try to remain aware of how I'm feeling when I use it. For me, I make more reasoned choices when I'm on a device with an external keyboard than when I'm on my phone. Slowing down also gives us time to be curious and to examine our assessment of a situation. Are things as they appear when we are at our most agitated? Does our initial impression match all of the data? Is everyone here okay? Or is there some hurt under the surface? What information might we be missing? Could we be anticipating an outcome that might turn out differently? There is a lot we don't know. And even if pausing for a moment or a day doesn't fill in all the gaps, 
we may be able to take note of our assumptions. Slowing down might also help us figure out that our engagement isn't needed in certain situations. Some conflicts are too close to personal trauma that we haven't yet processed, or just aren't the most urgent task toward our goals. You don't have to attend every fight you're invited to. In this morning's story, the farmer held off on declaring any given event as good luck or bad luck. Sometimes we don't know what's going to happen or what the impact will be of current events. That doesn't mean we should never act, but it does mean that focusing on potential or imagined catastrophes might be less strategic than focusing on the facts on the ground right now. In one of the training sessions I attended, the Reverend Rosie Washington urged us to think about our purposes for engaging in tense or conflicted situations. She was speaking specifically about nonviolent action aimed at making change for justice. I believe the same is true for any conflicted situation we may be approaching. What is our purpose in engaging? She offered these key questions. What compels me to participate? Why am I choosing to participate? Who are my people? How do I need to show up to achieve the stated goal of my people? And Karen's gonna do me a favor and put those four questions in the chat while I keep going. What compels me to participate? To me, this is a question about the values that undergird our motivations to act. This isn't a simple why, what compels you? What is so important to you that you can do no other than to make a choice to engage in something that is uncomfortable? Is it a promise that you made or a deeply held belief or love for your neighbor? There is something at the core of who you are, maybe the still small voice of conscience or maybe the mission statement that you committed to for your life that leads you into places that are not easy but are nevertheless important. Why am I choosing to participate? This is a question about goals and tactics. Where is the power in this situation and what's the best way to shift the power toward justice? This is also a question about our state of mind. Are we looking to build a better community or are we looking for revenge? Reverend Washington said that if we don't have a goal in mind, we can't effectively deescalate. So let's reflect on our reasons for engaging in conflict or action. Who are my people? Whose lives are we hoping to improve and who has entrusted us with a role that entails engaging with this particular conflict? To whom are we accountable in our choices about how we engage? Who will be impacted by our choices? Who are we in conversation with as we act together? Who has articulated the principles and values and goals of the community that we represent as we engage with conflict? This is a question about relationships. Moving a conflict toward the generative zone is I think in part about lifting up relationships. And if I can also add that I haven't mastered these skills, most of us are not able to be mindful for more than two breaths at a time. Who are my people is also a question about who am I in relationship with who's gonna help me to stay committed to my values. 
how do I need to show up to achieve the stated goals of my people? How will I carry myself? How will my choices further our shared goals? What techniques will I use on myself to maintain a commitment to nonviolence in moments of adversity? How will I draw from shared tradition? Again, this is about connection and relationship as well as self-awareness. De-escalation is not individualism. It is not about being an isolated hero. De-escalation is a recognition that we are all in relationship with one another, that what happens to one affects us all. Remembering the parts of ethical culture that you most value may help you to show up as your whole wise self in times of stress. These four discernment questions point to the importance of knowing ourselves in body and mind. Before we even begin to engage with conflict, practicing self-awareness helps us to be intentional about how we show up and the energy we bring to a situation. We want to lead with love and our values, and that does not happen by accident. As I'm sure you know, when humans are agitated, when we are angry or fearful, we are more likely to engage our amygdala, the part of our brain that governs our response to an immediate threat. And this is where our fight or flight response comes from. And there's two more responses that might come from that instinctive response to threat, freeze or appease. That means that we might feel unable to act or we might be driven to try to charm or flatter our way out of being harmed by an aggressor. We can thank our amygdala for trying to keep us safe in a stressful situation, but these impulses are not always the wisest choices when we're dealing with the tensions of the modern age. Helping to guide a conflict away from dehumanization and toward the generative zone requires different techniques than escaping from a saber-toothed tiger. But our bodies can be very convincing when we think or feel like we are under threat. So we need to be ready to reassure our bodies that we can handle the problem in a different way. It's good to know yourself and your body's response to stress. What posture do you tend to take when you start feeling like fear or anger is moving into the driver's seat? What is the rhythm of your breathing like? What do you do with your hands? Is there a sensation in your body like feeling flush in your face or a twinge in your heart? These might be signals that your body is operating in fight, flight, freeze, or appease mode. We might call this being activated. Let your body give you information about how you are feeling. Honor the wonder of a body that has adapted to help you in an emergency. Notice what might be true about your feelings. Perhaps a boundary has been violated. Perhaps you are taking a risk. And then let the feelings take a seat on the passenger side. The good news is that often our bodies respond to a conscious effort to change. When the mindfulness group leads platform on December 27th, I'm sure they will go into this in more depth. So I'll just make a brief mention today. When we notice that our breathing is shallow and that our body language is defensive, we can choose to slow our breathing and release the tension in our bodies. Making that conscious choice interrupts the instinctive feedback loop and signals to your brain to downgrade the perceived threat level. Your executive function 
then can then re-engage. Breathe in a way that is comfortable and nourishing for your body. Perhaps in a time of stress, you will remember one of the meditations we've used on Sunday morning during platform. Relax your jaw muscle, release the tension in your shoulders. Remember the inherent worth and dignity of every person. And then you can return to the challenge at hand. Self-awareness also extends to our habits of mind. Again, I look forward to hearing from the mindfulness group later this month. Briefly though, let's think about what we know about our own tendencies. In moments of mindfulness, we are able to maintain awareness of the present moment while calmly acknowledging and accepting our feelings, our thoughts, our bodily sensations. Each of us has some specific and personal things that are especially powerful in distracting us from practicing mindfulness. I don't like being cold personally because it reminds me of times when I didn't feel like I had the resources I needed to thrive. When I notice feeling cold, I also acknowledge that association and then I can let both the sensation and the fear of scarcity go. For other people, there might be a personal challenge in dogs barking or a car door slamming or diminishing light or the smell of decay. When we know ourselves well enough to realize that certain stimuli are tailored to push us off center, it is easier to notice those factors and respond with resilience. Knowing our bodies, our minds, our values, and our shared purposes are all helpful preparations if we're approaching a tense or conflicted situation. We each have our own vulnerabilities when it comes to putting love and wisdom in the driver's seat. Yet we also have an entire busload of assets for helping to move situations of tension away from dehumanization and toward generative relationship building, problem solving discussion. Being part of an ethical culture community provides us with role models and opportunities to practice bringing out the best in each other and therefore in ourselves. There are people among us whose expertise and experience we can consult when we slow down and take time to examine a problem together. There is a tradition of rigorous thought, intentions for justice, and loving action that can help us to stay grounded in times of adversity. Guided by our shared values and shared agreements, rooted in love and taking our time, we are capable as a community of shaping tension into opportunities for growth. May it be so. After some music, we will have community sharing time when you can write into the chat about what resonated with you today. A framing question might help spark a memory of a personal experience or your direct observation. It's like a writing prompt, you can use it or not. Today's framing question is, what helps you find stillness in the space between activation and response? People have different emotional and mental techniques that help us find our center and respond to stressful situations from a place of wisdom and flexibility. What are yours? As we contemplate rest and reflect, Let's experience the beauty of the musical response. My hands are strong enough, they're strong enough, I'm good. 
Well, this is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates in our own lives. Uh, the chat has been reopened and you may consider the framing question that Lynn posed for us. What helps you find stillness in between activation and response? I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or Facebook comments and I will try and read some of the responses that come forward for all of us. Uh, but feel certainly feel free to chat um, and use the uh, all panelists and attendees. Uh, let's see, Peter saying that at the age of 20, John Stuart Mill got depressed when he realized he could not solve the problems of the world. In August of that year, in 1826, he realized the basic lesson of our platform. It was at that time that the principle of ethical culture and religious humanism joined our culture, but not for the first time. Laura Steele saying, what an incredibly timely and power, powerful platform. Thanking Lynn so much. Her, Laura's two granddaughters-in-law are struggling with family conflict around cover, safety, around their two great-granddaughters. Thank you for such wonderful skills, thoughtfulness, and proactive ways of dealing with this now. That is indeed great. Yeah. It's a great set of tools that Lynn has offered to us for just sort of pa for pausing and noticing. Um, it's amazing how much even just a few moments difference can make in terms of what we do, how we act, how we choose to go forward. Jeff Michal has two points <clears throat> based on his first is based on frequent use of both Metro Russ and Riot on. He wonders sometimes if the pigeon is really driving the bus. <laughs> and the second point with the framing question, he finds avoidance to be the best strategy. He knows he can lose his cool in a nanosecond. It makes the ultimate of mercury look slow. <laughs> Patty Absher, what is activated is usually an ongoing, long, lifelong, eternal drama. This is true of me and the person who activates me. Before responding, try to keep this background dramas in perspective. Don't get recruited into someone else's drama, right? Try to find what is real and now then respond. Judy Alma is really liking that you don't have to attend every conflict you're invite, invited to. Finds that a fantastic recollection. 
Nancy McGuire, my problem is actually getting to the response at all. My strategy is ready, aim, 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 aim. Yep, I can hear that too. Julie Drizzen saying, I think self-awareness, empathy, and maturity all make all the difference. As a parent, one of the best lessons I remember from a parenting class was Q-tip, quit taking it personally. I don't always do it, but it's a helpful mantra. Not everything is about me. Laura Steele asks, is there a ready-made reference for these skills for now? That's a good question. Let's, let's check in maybe a bit. Um, the questions were in the chat, Laura, so hopefully maybe you can scroll back up and at least grab those questions as something to help you reflect upon. Trisha says, I hope this shows up as earlier my chat attempts wouldn't show. Oh, when I need to pause, my lifesaver is changing the pattern of my breath. This even changes my state of mind, right? So again, that pausing, taking a breath, taking a beat, just giving ourselves a tiny, even the tiniest bit of space to disconnect that, that impulse, right? Elaine Park um, is a, uh, arriving at West, listening to today's talk feels like arriving at an oasis of peace in an otherwise arid desert of hot sand. Wow, Elaine. And we know that you're a friend of Sandy's and here to support his um, new membership at West. And we are delighted that you are here and what a great gesture of friendship to be here to support him this morning. We hope that you'll come back and join us another time. Peter, for me, I learned a precursor to mindfulness, focusing as a young person. I've incorporated into the very center of the way I think about how to solve problems. It helps a lot and has helped me understand the importance of religious humanism. Abby Dakin saying, I found myself wondering about those questions about engaging in conflict when it's one of the myriad conflicts that arises in parenting. Joe London, I've been helped to understand myself in a conflict by the awareness wheel from Wes's relationship building workshop. And that's a tool that Wes has had in place and used for a long time about becoming aware of the actors, the motivators, the options, et cetera, et cetera. So that might be something that perhaps our community relations committee might help reintroduce to a new generation of, of Wes members and friends. Lynn is saying the text of the address will be posted in the members area of the website at some point. So great, Laura, you're asking again about tools and things and people can go back and reflect. It's always, again, nice to be able to dig in a little bit later. Um, Laura Tyler, don't accept the invitation to every fight you are invited to. This is very important, but I do entertain letting the pigeon drive. It can be kind of funny, but sometimes I don't know what to laugh at. <laughs> Roberta Geyer says, my junior high math teacher had this method, stop, look, and think, and now breathe. All good, all good. Joe London, also the rule of physics that every action has an equal and opposite reaction doesn't have to happen in conflict. We can pause and choose from many possible reactions. That's great, Joe. Robin, I try to take a breath and try to ask myself if I need to be in the center of the issue or conflict, or if I just need to listen when conflicts arise. I find my natural instinct is to insert my own feelings into the middle of the circle, but that is often not the most helpful path for the greater circle. Indeed, again, it's that whole Q-tip thing. You know, quit taking it personally. It's not all about me. Um, and what do we, you know, 
do we have to jump in? Do we have to be in the midst of it? Can we be an observer? Are there ways that we we can be maybe not a first responder? We hear so much these days about first responders, and maybe that is not always our role to be a first responder. Maybe there's another kind of supportive role we can do. Most often not about us indeed. So, well, just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. And here at West, we split the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. As we, pair, excuse me, as we prepare for the collection, I would like to repeat our welcome to visitors. We invite you to be our guest today and ask our visitors not to feel pressured by the collection. We do appreciate each person's generous giving as they are able. This month, half of the offering is dedicated to the Leaders Caring Fund, which is available to provide grants to West members, to members of the West community in times of financial hardship. Your gift to the Leaders Caring Fund might make it possible for someone to keep their heat on this winter or to pay a hospital bill or to stay in their home. West families in need can contact interim leader Lynn Cox for information about applying for a grant. Everything donated to the Leaders Caring Fund is used for concrete, compassionate purposes in our community. You'll see we have a give by text option to the number 202-335-1885, which is on the screen. Um, and you can also make a gift online through our donate button on our website at ethicalsociety.org, or you can visit tiny.cc slash westgives. We'll now receive your gifts and the musician's gifts of music. the greater good of all, the greater good of all, the greater good of all. I am here for the greater good of all, the greater good of all. You are here for the greater good of all, the greater good of all, the greater good of all. For the greater good of all, the greater good of all. We are here for the greater good of all, the greater good of all, the greater good of all. We are here for the greater good of all, the greater good. For the greater good of all, the greater good of all, 
the greater good of all. I am here for the greater good of all, greater good of all. You are here for the greater good of all, greater good of all, greater good of all. You are here for the greater good of all, the greater good. For the greater good of all, greater good of all, greater good of all, we are here. For the greater good of all, greater good of all, greater good of all, Thank you so much to the many people who helped create this morning's time together. Interim music coordinator Leah Morris, along with guest musicians Brian Sims, Kristen Jones, David Roth, and the Love Led Choir. Thank you to Maceo Thomas, our membership coordinator. Thank you to Jen Watson, who created our slides, and to Robin Kravitz for communication support and hosting our coffee hour coming up in just a moment. And thank you to tech host John Leica. And thank you to those who are leading and supporting our work in the week to come. At the conclusion of the platform service, please join us for a virtual coffee hour, or if you are new for the visitor Q&A. Once we're in the Zoom coffee hour space, we'll divide into breakout groups for small social group social chatting. And to get to the coffee hour after closing words, you can point your browser to tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour. And to get to the visitor Q&A, you'll please look for the link that will be in the chat in a, mo a moment. Next week, please join us right back here at 10.30 a.m. Interim leader Lynn Cox will speak about grief and sadness during the holiday season. On December 20th, we'll have a poetry-filled virtual winter festival. There will be an opportunity to sign up to participate. We're looking for readers of all ages to record themselves on video reading a winter poem along the themes of, let's see if West members may remember the themes, hope, joy, love, peace, and giving. Please contact interim leader Lynn Cox at lynnc, that's L-Y-N-C, at ethicalsociety.org. We have opportunities for West members and friends to connect virtually during the week, including support meetings and discussion groups. And you can find the details for that and all other events on our website calendar at ethicalsociety.org. Finally, thank you for being here with us. Let's enjoy our closing song of the month, Dark of Winter, recorded by Leah Morris. Dark of wind, 
Thank you to Perry Bider for accompanying the music. We neglected to mention him as among the guest musicians. So thank you also to Perry. And now I invite you to join me in our closing words. Let us go into the week ahead, seeking the still small voice of conscience in our quest for a better world. Again, please join us for virtual coffee hour. You can find the link on the slide or in the chat. It's tiny.cc slash coffee hour. And if you're new to our community, please send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, and introduce yourself. A reminder that our newcomer uh, Q&A is today, it starts at noon, and that link is also in the chat. It's tiny.cc slash westnewcomers. Um, so you can feel free to pop into the coffee hour for a little bit if you'd like, and then, and then pop over to the newcomer Q&A at noon. So we are delighted to have a chance to speak with all of uh, you. Uh, have a great week, everybody. Carry the notion of stillness and peace with you into the week ahead. Be well and welcome again to all of our new members and their friends that came and joined us today for the ceremony. We're so delighted to have you with us. Have a great week. Yep, our, it was a great closing song. Again, have a great week, everyone. Don't forget the coffee hour chance to actually, for those of you who really wanted to see other people, this is your chance in the small group. You can actually see other folks in your grouping. Uh, it's a nice chance to chat one-on-one. -on -one. Yes, Laura Tyler, thank you so much for welcoming our new members. Have a great week, Sam. Michael, thank your girls for joining us as well. It was wonderful to have them with us too. Yep, Katrina, I know it's rough not to have winter festival rehearsals and all that camaraderie right now. Hope you'll sign up to maybe be one of our video poetic readers. <laughs> Joe, thanks again for reading our statement of purpose this morning. Have a great week. Sandy, it was so delightful to have you join our community as a member. We've been loving to have you as a, a friend. Elaine, thank you for joining us to support Sandy today. It was great to have you with us. Catherine, thanks for the reminder about the anniversary of our use for social justice. That's 
Terrific. Have a great week, everyone. Encourage you to pop over to the coffee hour.